I've gotten several responses about the service tonight and uh, tomorrow night. I've um, <laughs> my family, uh, my grandmother in particular, is a little nervous. We're current, turning into Catholics because in her mind, uh, Catholics meet on Easter week on Thursday for mass and Friday and. She's she's kind of she's kind of thinking that way. She, I've tried to calm her down. We're not Catholic in the sense of Roman Catholic, but you know the church has recognized these days from the New Testament and has celebrated them and honored them and kept them faithfully throughout every generation. And uh, so we join here tonight. And we, we follow a great tradition. Traditions are a good thing. And they're kept in the perspective that they should be in. And that is that in the tradition is the opportunity to relate with Christ. And so that's what we want out of this service. You know, what's the aim of a service? The aim of this service is that you would relate with Christ. You would hear Him. And you would then taste Him, and then you would go in service of Him. That's, that's the purpose. We read the text. It is a magnificent text. It opens a section in John. John, like none of the other writers of the Gospels' accounts, um, covers for us the last week of Christ's life. I say that in the sense that a full quarter of everything John wrote, you realize this, don't you? A quarter of his gospel happened in seven days. From 13 through to 18, he's in one room talking to 12 and then 11 men. And John focuses on that narrow, small window of time. And when any writer focuses on something, we need to focus. There's a reason why he wrote his gospel the way he did. He tells us in John chapter 20, he says, I write these things that having read them, you might believe in him. And so we're here in the beginning of this section that is a quarter of John's writings to us in the gospel and it all happens in one room with 11 people. Sometimes we miss it. We think the significant things happen with thousands. And more appropriately, significant things happen with little groups. The world has changed with little groups. More often than it has changed with the masses. And Jesus, knowing that His time has drawn nigh, has a few things to tell His men. Now, they've gathered for a very specific service. A service, a feast, that their forefathers had carried out for thousands of years. Dating back to the time in Egypt. If you remember, the last of the great plagues, the last of the acts of God's deliverance for His people out of the land of Egypt and the bondage they were in there, was to kill the firstborn in the house of everyone who did not who did not kill a representative lamb 
you thought I was going to say, kill the firstborn of the houses of Egypt. That's not what he says. If you were an Israelite, and you did not by faith kill a representative lamb and put its blood on the doorpost in faith, believing that God had promised and He would keep His word, your firstborn died. Don't ever confuse it. God wasn't cursing Egypt. God was cursing the lack of faith in Him. The lack of following Him. Egypt being His primary target, in a sense, because they had His chosen people, but He took down anyone in that moment, in that day. And when they ate this feast, they took in the lamb, roasted lamb, one year old, without spot, without blemish, without lameness, without blindness, without deafness. It could have no defect. It couldn't even have a black speck on it. A freckle was inspected. They took it in, having killed it, taken its blood, taken the hyssop, spread it over the gate and over the doorpost. It was a bloody representation of what sin deserves. And they did it for thousands of years. Thousands of lambs. Pointing to one holy lamb, Jesus Christ. And every time they did it, they were enacting a great drama that God saw and God had commanded and yet God was anticipating what He had planned for the future for His people. It would be consummated in the death of His Son. And now Jesus has come to that hour. He's come to draw nigh to that time when He would be the Paschal Lamb, the Passover Lamb for His people. The representative of His people. And so that's what they've joined to do to celebrate this feast. To remember what was done in the past. And Jesus quickly turns them to what He's about to do. The, the purpose of a service like this uh, on, a, on the Thursday of Monday, Thursday, is, as, uh, it's not Monday, Thursday. Monday, Thursday. It means command is the root word where we get command. What command did he give? Well, it's right there in the text. If you look, look with me at verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I've loved you, you also are to love one another. That's the command. That's the command that really causes some conflict in my mind because I'm thinking, what's new about this? This is the same Jesus who said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is the same Jesus who told the people, love your enemies as yourself. This is the same Jesus on another occasion who said, love your neighbors as yourself. And now He's saying, a new commandment I give to you. What's new about the new commandment? What is new about it? Have you ever thought about that? Maybe Jesus just made an error. I don't think so. I hope you don't think so. Jesus knew what He was saying. He could have said, I give you a commandment. 
It's the commandment I've already given you. It's the commandment they got in the old covenant. It's the commandment from of old. Just do it. No, but he said, a new commandment I give to you. What's new about it, Jesus? That's the kind of question I ask when I see it. What's, what's new about this command that you're giving? That you love one another. The new part, just as I have loved you. That's new. All those generations before, they didn't know. They did not know the love of Jesus outright. They knew it in shadows. He said, just as I've loved you, love one another. Love one another. Now, what does he mean by just as I've loved you, love one another? I believe it's in the, I think it's just above in the first section that was read. Having come into the Passover feast, everyone's sitting around. A Lord of heaven and earth sitting at the middle of the table. Serving, preparing to be the head. To lead the worship, to lead the feast. While his men are sitting around. Stands up from the table. Takes off his outer cloak. And puts on the uniform of a slave. Does that bother you? It bothered Peter. It should bother you a little. The Lord of heaven and earth is a slave? Boy, Jesus doesn't understand what I go through every day. I think it would be right to say... You don't understand what he went through. The Lord of heaven and earth, the maker of heaven and earth, took off his honorable clothes that identified him as their Lord and teacher. He took it off. Not because it was insignificant, because he wanted them to know, just as I have loved you, you love one another. And he wrapped himself in a towel. He put on the uniform of a slave. And he went and got the utensils of a slave. And I don't know where he started. But he knelt down by someone. And the room most likely fell completely silent. Peter was not the only one offended that Jesus was going to wash feet. You see, washing feet, washing feet was so undignified that even the house servants that were respected by the Jewish people did not carry out that task. They made the Gentiles, if they had the privilege of having a Gentile, if they were of high enough class, they made sure the Gentiles washed feet because it was dirty. It was defiling. It was nasty. It was grotesque. They did not have Nikes in Jesus' day. They had open shoes. And they walked not on paved roads, but they walked on dirt. 
And their feet were nasty when they came in the house. And so the lowest slave on the totem pole washed feet. That was the standard. And here the Lord of heaven and earth rises, takes out his robe, and becomes a slave. Not just any servant, a slave. The lowest of the low. No rank, no position. He knelt down and began to wash feet. I can't understand it, um, how they must have felt. We can try, but I don't think we'll get there. You see, the, the, the reality is that what he's doing, you notice he tells Peter, when Peter, and when, there's so much in this text we could cover. I think when I preached, I went back and looked, I think when I preached through this the first time, there was many weeks involved. When Peter, he gets to Peter, Peter balks at the idea that the Lord and Master would wash his feet. And Jesus tells him that he must be washed. Because if I don't wash you, you won't be clean. And so Peter, as he often does, over-exaggerates and says, okay, wash everything. And he says, you don't need to be washed everywhere. You're redeemed. I'm going to redeem you already. You're mine. But you're dirty on your feet. And so I want to clean your feet. But what he's doing here, notice what he tells Peter. What I'm doing to you, you will not understand. But after it's done, you'll understand it. How will he understand what God, Jesus is doing? A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. New part, just as I have loved you, that you will love one another. There's not a Christian person in this room who wouldn't say, I love everybody else in this room. But how many people will do the most menial tasks to serve the person even sitting next to them in the pew? You have no rank over one another. And would you stoop down to the most menial, the most meaningless, the most defiling and degrading, and would you do it? Jesus says, it's not optional. Peter, you're going to understand this before we leave this room. You don't understand it right now, but you will. A new commandment I give to you. Just as I've loved you, love one another. And so, we have a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not if you get around to it. It's not if I feel like it. It's not optional. It is Christianity. And so as I studied and prayed and prayed and studied, the canon of the command shot a hole through me. Because, see, I'm standing up here in front of you. I've got on honorable clothes to teach in. But I've got to ask myself the question. Would I do the most insignificant thing, the most defiling thing, to love you?
I don't really like the answer I get sometimes. Because the truth is, I'm, I'm, I'm not even good at serving my wife that way. I'm not even good at serving my children that way. So, like any gospel message, we're brought to hopelessness. You cannot, and I cannot, keep this command. If you try, you will fail. And that's the second thing that's so new about this command that's made crystal clear in these words. Because you don't love out of your love. You love out of Christ's love. What he's literally, literally saying is, because I've loved you, I'm going to show it to you. It's a couple of chapters over. You say, you're dreaming this up. No. Every love that flows out of Christ will accomplish this command. And every love that flows out of your heart or my heart will fail. Can't do it. This is not Jesus saying, guys, I know I talked about saving you. Grace oriented. But now I just want to get back to some legalism. Y'all go try hard. He didn't thunder the law at them. He gave them an impossible task and then gave them what only, the only thing that could accomplish the task. It's in John 15. Turn, turn for the definition to what it means to first love as Jesus is loved. I can't. You're right. And so Jesus says, love based on my love. Love out of my love. John 15 verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. My love is a foundation. My love is a staying with his metaphor here. My love is a vine and you are a branch. So abide in the vine. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What? These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. What's Jesus saying? Your joy is based on His joy. What's Jesus saying? I have loved the Father. The Father has loved me. I have loved you. Now you love one another out of that love. Not out of your reservoir of love. Not out of your human abilities. But love out of Christ's love. Still don't get it? Do you? Maybe. Hopefully, verse 12, this commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you. Any question or doubt you might have had about what I said about chapter 13 is now 
moot point. He just repeated the same command again. And he centered it on Him loving the Father, the Father loving Him, Him then loving us, and now you love each other out of the fact that I love you. Out of my love. This is not a do-ism. This is not a legalism. This is the joyful, relational overflow of Christ. And so I can't do it, but He can. So as He's coming to the end, as He is preparing to die, He says, in a parable, I want to show my men how to love. So he took off his robes and he put on a slave's uniform and he washed feet. That is a parable. That is an acted out. That is a scripted. That is an intentional move. Jesus is a great teacher. Then he says, Peter, I'm going to tell you later what this means. You don't understand it right now, but you're going to understand it. I promise you. Just as I've loved you, Peter, and others love one another. And then he teaches a while and he comes right back to it. The Father loved me. I love the Father. I've loved you. Uh, a A commandment I give to you, love one another. This is it. But verse 13 makes it explicit. Greater love has no man than this. You had a trouble with me washing your feet? Try this one on. Greater love has no man than this, but that he would lay down his life for his friends. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. He parabolized In a very typological, typological way, he showed them love that night in the upper room so they couldn't miss the point. I'm going to wash your feet like a common, bottom of the rung slave. Love one another as I've loved you. A new command I've given to you. Love one another. You can't have greater love than I'm about to show you on that tree where we're going tomorrow. I don't want to preach on the cross yet, but that's the ultimate. That's not a parable. That's not a pattern. That is so exceedingly above anything anyone has ever done that He's not even telling you to try that one. That one is the foundation for your love. He doesn't say, do what I did for you. You can't. I can't. He did it. It's finished. And now He says, go live out a life of love based on my act of love. As the ground for your love, find my love. And then it's never ending. Then, then you're in Sprayberry. And for 12 years, your husband is struggling and dying. And you get up every day. And you say, Jesus loves me. And I will love my husband. You ever thought, how does Ann do that? 
she doesn't. He does. Oh, and by the way, you'll have a mother with Alzheimer's. And you'll have a mother-in-law who will suffer into her 90s before she dies. That's impossible. Yes. If you're on your reserve, your reserve will run out. But if He is the basis of your life and your love, He never fails. You will fail in that process. Ann Sprayberry failed. She, if she was standing here, she'd tell you, I failed. I got angry. I got frustrated. I lost my patience. And yet, I ran to Him in repentance. And He said, you're mine. I've covered it. Love out of my love. This isn't a Sinai thundering law. This is a Mount Zion greater commandment. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So where do we go in the rest of the Bible to see it? Now you get scared. I won't go all over the Bible. <laughs> but Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens. Paul says, in doing this, in caring for one another, you fulfill the great commandment of Christ. But I got one better. To set us up for tomorrow and set us up for this supper. It's not original to me. This is a thought that um, has been passed down. Take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Keep John 13, the new commandment, in your mind. Keep it there. Fight for it. Don't lose it. And I want to read a passage to you. Verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or, I think better, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be got, grasped. But He made Himself nothing. Taking the form of a slave. And being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even the death on a cross. Therefore, God. I don't want to preach Sunday either. But man, you can't stop. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He went into the upper room. He set the table for the Passover. His men said it and He walked in. He sat down among them. And once they were settled in, he rose up and took off his outer glory. And he became a slave. 
And he humbled himself and washed feet. And then he rose up and put back on his outer garments and sat down. So how can he do it? That was nothing for Jesus. He had taken off glory to be born of a virgin. Getting up from a table and washing feet, that was nothing. Church, let's just confess. This is an alien love. It can only come from Him. Let's just confess together. Our Father in heaven has shed His love on us in sending His Son. Let's confess together that our brother, Jesus Christ, has served us in love to death. Let's confess together. Let's believe from our heart that because He has, now He has enabled us so that we can love one another. And let's stop making excuses. Help me stop making excuses for not caring for you. And using the excuse of, I'm tired. It's been long days. You're asking too much. Be gentle, be gracious, but remind. He never said he was too tired. He never said he had done too much. He gave it all. He gave it all. And now, you know what this Thursday is all about. So you can take communion. And the one who loved you before the foundation of the world will join you in communion. And he will love you still. Some people get a little crazy about the sacrament word. It bothers them. I understand. Let me just tell you quickly. Sacrament comes from the word sacramentum in the Latin We have two, baptism and the Lord's Supper or communion. What does the word sacrament mean? That is the pledge of a Roman soldier to his general. Our church fathers knew the words they chose. What you're doing by coming here is you're pledging anew, afresh, yourself to your Lord and Master. To the one who has loved you. And unlike the Roman general, he's not pomp and he's not circumstance. He's a servant. And so he embraces you at this table and he calls you his own. And so we pledge ourselves to him because he's given himself to us. I want to just give you time to think, to pray. And as God begins to move you, this isn't heavy, it is, but it's not. It's heavy and it's celebratory. Just like the Passover. It's heavy, it was a high price, we want to always remember it. It's holy, so we're in trepidation, and then our trepidation, our fears are relieved because Christ is enough, and we come in celebration. They say, you are mine because you made me yours. Have me. Have me. Take me. 
Okay? So I'll give you that time. Just time, freedom, pray, make things right among one another. Maybe that's necessary. I don't know. And when you are ready, come and take freely of this communion supper if you know the Lord as your Savior. And then go back and wait patiently and we'll take the elements together. The tables are open. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. We have here a holy observance of a holy sacrifice that was given once and for all. The blood and the body of bulls and goats can never remove sin. But He has removed sin. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And so we tonight draw near to Him. We have in our hands something to remind us physically of His body. He chose the memory. He chose the instrument. It is bread. Common. Common bread. They ate bread at every meal. Because though he was high and lofty, he became common for them. And he took it and he gave it because he gave his life. And said, eat it. Because he wanted them to commune with him. And so we come to this banquet table and we have for ourselves bread. Jesus said, he who eats my flesh shall live Forever, And it is true because he gave his body. Eat this in remembrance of him. Eat this in remembrance of him. Confident that he has covered your sin. Taking them away. And he's receiving you. Sin is not taken away unless blood is shed. That's as old as the Garden of Eden. And no blood represented life like His blood because it's perfect. It's perfect. Sinless. Spotless. 
And so, he was delivered up for our trespasses. Smitten by God and afflicted. Counted among his brothers. And killed. Shedding for us the blood. He said this cup is the new covenant which is in my blood. He said in John 6, He who drinks my blood shall live forever. So drink his blood anew and remember that he has saved you. And look for his coming. Drink it. And for those who have eaten his flesh and drinking his blood in faith, there is real grace. There is real unfailing, unmerited grace.